Welcome to The Rock Podcast. Today we begin our study through the pastoral epistles, the books of 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. Here in chapter 1 of 1st Timothy, Paul encourages young Timothy to put false teachers in their place as he fights to bring the Ephesians back on track with sound doctrine. Here now is Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Fight the Good Fight. All right, good morning everybody. Let's get started. Got a new book for study. First Timothy, it's going to be awesome. Before we dive in, let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the excitement that's in our hearts because we have a Father in heaven who loves us. We have the hope of eternal life, living forever, and knowing that we have a God who's working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so, Lord, it's with joyful hearts and expectation that we now look to the living word that is not have its uh, origin in any man, but from heaven, the Holy Spirit moved in the hearts of holy men carried along by your spirit to produce this God-breathed word sent to save us. And so, God, we just acknowledge your uh, presence here with us, and we ask you to help us, Lord, to make sense of these words and be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you've all heard the phrase to come out swinging, right? And that's a very appropriate way to describe our next New Testament book up for study, the book of 1 Timothy. Now, Paul, the apostle inspired by the Holy Spirit, comes out swinging, as you're about to see in the opening verses of chapter 1. And there's a reason for Paul's intensity. A church that Paul planted, he was one of the planters there uh, in Ephesus, a very important church, perhaps the most important church of the first century. That church is in serious trouble. False teachers are poisoning their minds with unbiblical ideas and practices that threaten to undo the work of God there. I even have a little picture of what we're talking about, false teachers. There we go. Well, well, how how did our Lord Jesus describe them? He said in Matthew chapter 7, be on your guard. There'll be many teachers, but they won't be telling you the truth. And Jesus, the Son of God, described them this way as wolves disguised in sheep's clothing. So it's a little bit hard to recognize them. And that was the case at uh, Ephesus. Now, Paul is writing to his young protege, Timothy, who finds himself in an uh, a challenging situation. He's God's man for the job, responsible really to correct the situation there and put the false teachers in their place and get the church back uh, on track with sound teaching. Now, First Timothy belongs to a group called the pastoral epistles. Epistle is just a fancy word for letter, right? And so those uh, three letters, I have a, a picture of the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And they're called pastoral epistles because they're written to pastors. They're addressing church issues, how the church should operate. What are the qualifications of church leaders, the offices within the church, church policies, church problems. And so they're called pastoral epistles for that reason. And we're going to talk about um, these uh, issues as they come up here in First Timothy. Now, let me show you a map to give you some context. This really helps me to understand, uh, like I learned by pictures. And, and uh, here we have uh, the situation of how First Timothy 
came into being, along with 2 Timothy and Titus. All right, so the last thing we remember in Acts 28, because that was the last book we studied, uh, was that Paul was imprisoned in Rome, right? He was under really house arrest. He was renting a house. He was still chained to a guard, but he was allowed to write, and he wrote Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon during that time. And he told the Philippians, while he was incarcerated there at Rome, he told them, I think I'm going to be released. And for uh, what we can see in the scriptures, it seems like he was. And so we're going to put together the best uh, scenario, I think, of what happened after Paul was released, after writing for two years. His case was dropped. I mean, they didn't have a case against him. Right? What was this, the charge, really? Being a really good Christian. You know? So that didn't stand up in the court of law. So here's what, if you take the scriptures from 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, this is the picture we get. Paul, Titus, and Timothy travel after Paul's release to Crete, and they evangelize the entire island, where Titus is left to establish elders and church disciplines and to oversee things there to get the church up and running. Paul and Timothy continue on to Ephesus, but they're on their way to their friends in Macedonia, which is Philippi and Thessalonica. All right? So they're on their way there, but they stop just to say hello to the folks in Ephesus, and there's a small disaster there. There are false teachers teaching all kinds of crazy things. The elders there, just like Paul had predicted, went sideways with false doctrines and the churches splitting up and the churches in, in confusion. And so Paul excommunicates two of the ringleaders, Hymenaeus and Alexander, we'll be hearing about them. He excommutes them. He does the big job, but he still needs to get to Macedonia. So he leaves Timothy, little, young, 30-year-old Timothy, to take care of the aftermath there at Ephesus. And Paul will continue on by himself. And he goes up, and when he gets to Macedonia to see his Philippian friends, he writes 1 Timothy and Titus. 1 Timothy is saying, hey, stay there in Ephesus. I want you to command these guys to stop teaching and get things in order. And then to Titus, he's writing, I want you to establish. Here's how to establish the churches on the island we just fully evangelized. So both of them are about church government, but the contexts are different. On, on, uh, I was going to say on Titus, on, on Crete with Titus, it's to establish the church. And then in Ephesus with Timothy, It's to reform the church back to the sound doctrine of the gospel. Well, after he writes 1 Timothy, which he says, and I have this scripture for you, although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. This is the key verse for 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, because Paul will be delayed. Paul's not going to make it back. You see, Paul wants to come back from, I need the map, sorry. (laughs) He wants to come back. He says, I hope to return, and he starts to return to go to Timothy in Ephesus. He's arrested and ends up back under arrest. This time, he writes 2 Timothy, and he says, the end is near. I fought the good fight. I'm not being released. I'm going to go home to be with the Lord and receive my eternal reward. So that's the context here. You know, if Timothy didn't stay in Ephesus, we would never have 1 Timothy saying, I, I'm glad you're there. I hope to come back and get you. But on the way back, uh, the Lord had something else uh, in store. And so, so now we're going to dive into the, the actual letter that he wrote, checking in and, and affirming Timothy and telling him how to get that church back in 
order. So I want you to imagine with me, you know, frustrated and uh, beleaguered Timothy. Now, we, we know that Timothy really wasn't full of confidence. He was kind of a shy guy. And uh, uh, it's just amazing that the Lord would use somebody like Timothy without the natural inclination of charisma or boldness. And uh, he, he suffered from stomach issues. And Paul's always saying to him, come on, man, be encouraged. And, uh, and so this is the guy that's left there. And right when he needs it most, a courier comes. Hey, I got a letter. And he takes that scroll and he grabs a couple of the loyal elders. And he says, I got a letter from Paul. And they go off to a quiet place and they open it up. Timothy's heart is pounding. Right? Here he is, surrounded, you know, a young man, and he gets a letter from his spiritual father, the Apostle Paul. He opens it and he begins to read verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, if you're taking notes, we're going to get through the chapter, Lord willing. Uh, number one, the formal greeting. Uh, there's enough here to really preach a series of messages already because that's how the Word of God is. Why so formal of a, of a greeting here? Uh, they've been together for 15 years now, their father and son in the faith, that is. Well, uh, there's a reason for that formality. Uh, well, first of all, in keeping with the custom of the day, you sign the letter first. And I like that because you don't have to scroll down. Get it? Scroll down. <laughs> scroll down to the bottom to see who it's from. It's right away. You know, who's writing comes first. Next, who you're writing to. And then a general upbeat uh, greeting. And not much has changed. We do the same thing. How are you? I am fine. Hope everything is well. But I think... Grace, mercy, and peace from God, our, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ really beats, hi, how are you? I'm <laughs> fine, how are you? Amen? Yeah. So, this letter's coming to a young man. Paul's about 58. Timothy's about 31. And so, really, you could picture me and Pastor Jim, or me and Pastor Adam, because it really works. We're very close there. Not quite 58, but I'm almost there. And so uh, you'll remember that Paul became Timothy's spiritual father back in Acts 14. They're in central Turkey. It was called Lystra. And Paul came through the first missionary journey. He came through preaching the gospel. And this teenager, Timothy, with his mom and his grandmother, who were observant Jews but not Christians, heard the gospel, and got saved. Then Paul left, and a few years later, he comes back through the second missionary journey, and he goes to Lystra to check on the church, and the brothers say to Paul, hey, check this guy out, the grace of God, the gifts of this young man. And that's when they laid hands on Timothy, they prayed over him, they ordained him, and he has traveled now for 15, 20 years by the side of the great apostle Paul. They've been inseparable, really, throughout the years. And so, Timothy is quite the guy, you know. It's amazing, like I said, lacking the confidence, he just seems to be a guy who struggles with shyness. And, of course, he, God puts him with the apostle Paul, right, and gives him tasks to do that, that a guy with boldness would be hard-pressed to accomplish. And that, isn't that how God is? He, he likes to use people who are weak in a certain area. And then he does this amazing work because then you could see it, it's not because of the human person or personality or their skill, but wow, this just gives honor and glory and evidence of the workings of God. And it gives glory to Jesus Christ. I mean, I just think about my own self. I'm the last person in the world to stand up before people. I had a phobia of, of speech and public uh, speaking. I couldn't in high school. I, I failed, and I've told you this before. I failed 
anything to do with an oral report or speech. And then I just simply declined and took the F. And I would fail entire courses because of it, right? In fact, I went to the guidance counselor's office, sat down. I remember this like it was yesterday. And I was choosing a a college to go to at graduation. And the the only thing that that mattered was to look through and see if speech was required. That's how I chose my three top threes. I just turned the page, went down and said, speech, right? Oh, nope, done. All right, next one, right? So look at God's little practical joke, right? Right? So when somebody says, hey, you're pretty comfortable up there, it's like, I know the truth. I know what happened to me. I was minding my own business, afraid of doing things like this. And God just says, look, I'm going to take you and I'm going to do something special with you and your whole life's work, the way you make your living is going to be the thing that you cannot do without my help. I was like, oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> and so he grabs a guy like Timothy, oy vey, my stomach, you know, and, and, and oh, I don't think I can do this and all of this. And, 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 and Paul says, Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind, man. Come on, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that's in you, man. And so you see, Timothy was chosen and used in his weakness on purpose because God does those kinds of things. And so the formal greeting, of course, is to inspire this guy. You know, so because you know everybody isn't what they're saying at the church. After a while, after Paul's gone, oh, now they, they start saying, who is this young guy calling the shots, making changes, laying down the rules? Now he can say, well, actually, or somebody else would say, actually, uh, this young man has the backing of Paul the apostle who's under the command of God He's Paul's spiritual heir. It's like having Paul Jr. in the pulpit. And the same authority that backed the apostle Paul is now backing Timothy as his representative. And you shall hear and give heed to Timothy as you would to the great apostle Paul. So therefore, we have the need of a formal introduction because the church is going to read it. And we're all going to read it. Right? And so look at that, uh, grace, mercy, and peace. I can't go on without just saying, you know, what, what, what a trinity. Grace, getting what you don't deserve. Mercy, not getting what you do deserve. And peace, the result of having the grace and the mercy. And the only way to have peace in your heart and life, the only way, no matter what your, how wonderful your outward life is, the only way to have true peace is to be uh, right with God, to have peace with God, to accept what he did on the cross for you. That's the peace. You know, it's not quite true to say, have you made peace with God? It would be theologically better and more correct to say, have you accepted the peace God has already made with you? Through Christ the Lord. You have nothing to do to make peace with God. You need to say, sign on the dotted line. Yes, I accept the peace that you've already made. And so, uh, an awesome greeting. And already I could feel like the confidence is flowing in Timothy's uh, spiritual veins. All right, let's move on to the problem. Verses 3 through 7, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrine any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. Now, the goal of this command or the law is love, which comes from a pure heart, good conscience, and a sincere faith. Now, some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. 
Okay, so we got down to the problem. And the number two note takers, the urgent command. The urgent command. So here's the problem. Quote, certain men there in the fellowship, uh, in the church, need to be shut down, silenced, because their teaching was hindering the work of God. Now, how many of you enjoy confrontation? Yeah, seriously, and if you did want to raise your hand, uh, that would be a problem. Uh, <laughs> uh, no wonder this guy's got stomach problems. You, you know, can you imagine? These guys were ferocious, man. And they had supporters in the church, and they had jobs, and they had money, and they had influence. And, and this guy is left there 30 years old. Command these men to be silent. Wow. Wow. Now, it always comes back to doctrine. Doctrine is just another word for teaching, right? So it always comes back to what is the truth. And the truth is more important than anybody realizes. There's nothing more uh, crucial than what you believe to be true. Listen to that, because that's very, very important. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10 says they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness so whatever the truth is it's responsible for being the agent by which your soul is saved your knowledge of the truth, if, if you are clinging to something other than whatever the truth is from God's point of view, then all promises are off biblically, all right? So this is pretty important stuff, and we can see why Paul is using the word, a military phrase, command them to be silent because by their teaching, they're upsetting entire families and their meaningless talk is uh, undermining the work of the gospel there. Let's just think about the truth, all right? How important it is to make sure that you have God's truth. John 14, 6 says, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth. Oh, so <laughs> Jesus is the truth. Uh, we are told to be faithful to the truth in Third John. We are commanded to walk in the truth. We are told we belong to the truth, 1 John 3, 19. We are told to purify ourselves by obeying the truth, 1 Peter 1. In fact, we are told that we are born again by the word of truth, James chapter 1. It's pretty important that you know what you believe and that you believe the truth. Because it's what saves you, what sustains you, what protects you. It's the entire foundation. Mess with the truth. And what do you have? You don't have the gospel. So it's no wonder that in the great church of Ephesus, uh, that was in the devil's viewfinder, the church of Ephesus, of course. Because if you mess around with the truth, water it down, distort it. Uh, a distorted truth is a distorted life. Perverted truth brings perversion. And uh, uh, a weak grasp on the truth or being unsure about the truth makes you unsure about your life. And so, of course, the devil's thing is to come to a beautiful, effective church, a church that was evangelizing the entire province of Asia, a church where, where Paul the Apostle set up a ministry discipleship training uh, school, that, that sent church planners out. Of course the devil wants to destroy the work of God there. And how does he choose to do it? He does it subtly by causing and deceiving the elders of the church to change the doctrines of the simple truth found in our scriptures to meaningless talk. And they're described as myths and genealogies. And we're going to talk about that uh, now. And so... Sadly, in Acts chapter 22, Paul saw this day coming. You remember, he was leaving the Ephesians. He was there on the beach saying goodbye to all the Ephesian pastors, right? Acts chapter 20, here's how it reads. 
Paul saying goodbye to them five years before. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Five years later, it's happening. The worst part for me is that it's from within, even from among your own number. Well, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15, Jesus said, you know, watch out for the false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So they look good on the outside. Nobody went to Ephesus and said, hey, there's the bad guy. You know, he's sitting in the front row. <laughs> you know, you're not going to see that. They, in fact, they were probably the better looking ones and the more well-dressed. And so you couldn't tell from the outside. And so what were they teaching? Let's get to that. Well, we don't know exactly, but we have enough uh, for our edification. Number one, it had something to do with the Old Testament because they want to be teachers of the law. Now, the law is the Torah, right? It technically means the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses. But Torah or the law, when you talk about the law, you can mean the whole Old Testament. So these guys wanted the, the, the um, honor and respect that the Jewish experts of the law, the Pharisees, they wanted to be the Christian versions, the experts in the Old Testament. And they spent their time really without making a law-based relationship with God. You've got to keep the commands. The commands are everything to be saved, right? And, and so, and then they were also into these genealogies. So the Old Testament is filled with long genealogies. So what they would do is pull them out and study them and memorize them and count the numbers in the names and make these myths about these people in there and spend all their time uh, and, uh, causing more questions than answering them and just spin in their wheels all day long uh, with this, uh, the apostle calls it meaningless talk. I love the King James. It says they're vain jangling, right? Doesn't that sound terrible? It just means futile babbling, right? And they're real confident about it. They get up and he says, oh, they, they just act so confident, like they know exactly what they're talking about. And Paul, the apostle, who is an expert in the law, says they don't have a clue. They just get up and they act like a, they love getting up in front more than the ministry or the law about what they're teaching. And so that's really what's behind it. You know, have you ever heard of Kabbalah? Kabbalah is this, uh, it's five centuries old. And it's, kind, it's made a comeback with a lot of uh, celebrities now. And what it is, it's, it's based on the Torah. And what they do is they take, they have these elaborate charts. They count all the letters of the Old Testament and they create myths and stories. It's very, very confusing, very mystical. And you have to be enlightened to be a part of it, you know, uh, of course. And and so I have a chart of what they uh, see. Isn't it easy to understand? (laughs) It's really easy. So this is very, very common. And it's the trick of the devil. Let's get you really spun around and confused, all right? And, and let the clock just keep ticking while you keep talking in circles, talking in circles. Oy vey, look at this list over here. You know, counting all the numbers and, and trying to do... And Paul says, well, it's meaningless. That's what they were doing. But uh, even more than that, It wasn't the point of what they were teaching. It was really the end product was destruction of faith and distraction. So thank you for that uh, chart. Uh, Your text says, here's what they're doing. The effect is they promote controversy rather than service to God. In other words, these false teachers, as is the case with all false teaching and bad preaching, all right? Uh, it sends you on a wild goose chase instead of on a mission from God. Um, 
it is really raising more questions and not answering them. It's like going to church and, and leaving more confused than when you came in. You know? Isn't that terrible? It would be terrible. <laughs> I've been to some of those churches. I know. That's an awful feeling, you know? And so that's the thing. They sit around and talk, and that happens today. What does the scripture really mean? You know, what is the Hebrew text? You know, my thing is, you counting all the Hebrew letters to crack the code, and they're doing it today, and they did it then. Why not just read the words and, and understand the meaning, and then you would, like, crack the code, uh, the real code, right? <laughs> And that's really not what they have in mind. And so we have those thinkers now in evangelical circles. What does it really mean? Let's rethink everything. Let's reinvent, reimagine with me. Let's just dialogue and dialogue and dialogue and dialogue. Now, several churches ago, that's how I keep track of time. <laughs> several, several churches ago, I was out with somebody, well-meaning, but it was going on and on and on. And here's what I said. I said, Sir, our waitress is on her way to hell. Most of the city is going down in flames. Many in the church are barely hanging in there. The Lord Jesus Christ is about to appear in all his glory, and you just want to sit here and talk in circles all day long. I do not have the time or willpower to do that. I don't. I don't, and that's the whole goal of false teaching. Over here! Oh, it's all about you and money and wealth and it's all about faith healing. It's over here. Forget about the gospel, the simple truth that God became a man and and lived a perfect life and laid down his life on the cross to bear the sins of the world, that he was crucified, dead and buried and raised on the third day and he ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit and put him in our hearts to transform us, to fill us, to change us and to reach the world for him ministers of reconciliation, begging people on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Instead, take out the long list, the long, boring, endless list of lifeless religion and talk about laws. Oh, you've got to keep the laws and all of that. And so, you know what? He says they're missing the whole point, Jesus said, was asked, and I love this. This is going to make a connection for you. Jesus was asked, what's the most important law in the law? And Jesus says, one of the experts, he says, tests him with this question, teacher, what is the greatest commandment law in the law? (laughs) These are experts in the law at Ephesus saying, hey, we're experts in the law. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest law. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments saying the whole point of the law, the whole Old Testament is to tell you more about God which produces in you a love for him, a love for with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, a love for others. Because the more you know about God and his wonderful plan for you, the more you want to serve him faithfully, the more you want to lay down your life, and the more, quite frankly, that you fall in love with him. And and that's what it's, it's all about. I love the connection. And so instead of promoting love for God, you see... Whenever you hear good teaching, it ought to make you love God more. That's Paul's point. And he says, these guys get up, spin the the charts up there, and everybody leaves confused. (laughs) Nobody's built up. Nobody's all excited. I got to love God more because I know more about God. And I know, wow, the mercy of God, how he saved me, how much he loves me, how he's working all things together for my good. And you leave a a sermon like that all fired up and you want to love him. And keep his commands, not to gain heaven, but to say thank you for his great love. Amen? Amen. You don't do that with false teaching. No, you don't do that. That's his point. And I love the genius of Paul. And of course, the Holy Spirit is nearby because he's writing scripture. And he says, let me qualify that love 
that we're talking about because the point of the law is love. So he says that's a love that springs from three things. It's right there. Pure heart, clean conscience, and genuine faith. Oh, that, that's so perfect. Because he says, by the way, folks, it's a clean love. Uh, a well-taught Christian is going to go to God and keep confessing their sins and be purified. And by the way, it's a love that has a clear conscience. The well-taught Christian knows how to walk before the Lord, right? And by the way, folks, it's a love that is real. He says it springs, this love springs from a genuine faith. In other words, a well-taught Christian on, with sound doctrine and a healthy pastor who's preaching the word of God, it, it causes you to, to live the real deal. You're not perfect, but you're walking with God. You're not a hypocrite. You're not living a double life because you're being fed. And the problem with false teaching is there's no grain in the feeding trough for the sheep to come up and they get malnourished and they get a little, quite frankly, crazy. Amen? <laughs> You've got a lot of meat on the barbecue. Amen? You've got more meat on the barbecue than you know what to do with sometimes, <laughs> some Sunday mornings. Amen? Amen? Oh, you should have said amen there. That's okay. All right. I still love you. All right. So... Let's move on. I think we see what they were doing there. And I I just want to say, listen, a cold church is bad preaching. A confused church, a weak church, bad preaching. You need the food. You need the food. Some Christians, I don't blame them. They go to churches They get the same spiel over and over again. Topical stuff, favorite scriptures here and there. The same evangelistic message is nice. But it's not enough to feed you. You need the word of God. Amen. Amen. 8 through 11. We know that the law is good. Now here's, you just got to know what he's doing here. Okay, he's just going to put, he doesn't have a lot of time to spend on their false teaching. So he's just going to put a hole right through the hull of their boat. All right, so he's going to just try to free up anybody who's caught in the law-based dead religion. All right, now we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, not for Christians, not those right with God, but for lawbreakers, rebels, the ungodly, sinful, unholy, irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. So we've seen the formal greeting, the urgent warning, and now the purpose of the law. So he just brought up, he said, hey, these guys are all about the law, the law, the law. We're teachers of the law, right? So, so, so he, he wants to say, uh, let me put a hole in that whole argument that the teachers of the law are saying, you've got to keep the Ten Commandments in order to go to heaven. So he says, now listen. There's nothing wrong with the laws of of the Old Testament. There's nothing wrong with God's commands. If you understand why he gave them and their purpose. God didn't give the law to Christians. He did not. He gave the Holy Spirit to Christians and grace to Christians. He did not give us the law. Uh, It's not to police good men, but bad men. So the purpose of God's law is the protection of society and the punishment of criminals. Martin Luther put it this way, and in the process, God's law is a mighty hammer to crush the self-righteousness of human beings. In other words, the purpose of the law, Galatians chapter 3, the whole purpose of thou shalt not is not to save you, but to show you you need a savior. It's to take you under conviction and guilt and the awareness that you have fallen short before the living God and to get you to open your heart to God's remedy in the form of a Savior who died for your sins. 
That's the point of the Old Testament. Now, once somebody comes to Christ, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they're changed. Now, they're delighted to keep the law, not to get to heaven, but because they've been given heaven. And so now, the law is good. All of those commands I need to keep, and I evidence my love for Jesus by keeping those commands. But I don't keep them to gain my way to heaven. I keep them because I've been given a free gift of life and the Holy Spirit is in me and changed my heart. Now I like those laws. I want to keep those laws. And by his power, as I cooperate with this new life in me, I can keep them. So that's the difference. He's saying, the law is good if you don't try to trust in it to save you because the only thing the law can do without Jesus is condemn you. Thou shalt not lie. Anybody ever uh, be able to raise your hand and say, oh, I've never lied. Raise your hand. (laughs) Yeah, and if you did raise your hand, and I've had people say, well, I know I don't lie. I said, you've never lied. And he goes, no, I haven't. I said, there you go, right there. (laughs) Right there. Stop that. I've never lied. That's so silly. So Paul wants to jolt these guys into to reality. He says, okay, you know what? You who love the law, oh, I keep this law. I do this law. I don't do this. I do this. I don't do this. Here's my list. He says, you know what? The laws for rebels and those who ignore God, for atheists, for profane people, for those who have no sense of the sacred, for the vilest kind of murderers, for liars and uh, slave traders can be kidnappers sexually immoral, adulterers, and perverts. Commandments 5 through 9 are listed there, broken, right? Here's what he's saying. You law-based approached Christians. Really? How many of you woke up this morning uh, and, and you wanted to kill your parents? How many of you woke up this morning thinking, you know what, I'm going to kidnap and I'm going to commit some crimes? I'm going to lie about it. The law is not for Christians. We don't need laws. Paul says, we don't need laws. We're in love with the Lord. By loving the Lord, I keep the laws because loving the Lord means I keep those laws, you see. I don't need laws. I don't need a law to, to tell me not to cheat on my wife. Seriously, I need a law for that? I don't think so. And in the same way, Paul is saying, when you love the Lord, you don't need a law to tell you don't cheat on the Lord. I mean, we all got sinful natures. And in that respect, it's good to have the law in our minds. (laughs) Amen? Amen. All right. Or unless I'm the only sinner in the crowd. (laughs) Maybe I'm talking about other churches out there. All right, so it's not for us. So he's just saying, here's the remedy, folks. Shift your focus from what I can and cannot do kind of Christianity. Oh, I've got to go to church. Oh, I've got to read my Bible. Oh, no, I can't do that. Oh, no, I've got to do that. I can't do that. If that's your approach to Christian living, my friend, you, <laughs> you've been lied to. <laughs> that's not the approach. And watch, and a lot of commentators don't get this. Some do. Watch what he does now. It's genius. He's going to show you by giving a little bit of his testimony what the real gospel, what real religion is about. Not some dead, boring list of genealogy uh, name. Yeah, whatever. Uh, (laughs) Verses 12 (laughs) and following. Now he says, Now I thank Christ Jesus our Lord has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. 
now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. So we've seen the purpose of God's law. Now he's just going to blow them away, not by teaching where they've erred, but by showing the fruit of sound teaching of the sound gospel, what Christianity is all about. Since it's not about a dead list of names. It's about life from the dead. It's about transformation of a person's life. So first of all, he says, first of all, I thank Jesus Christ. Ah, it's about a person, not about an it or a list or a thing or a mystical thing over here. He brings them all the way back. This whole thing, the gospel, Christianity, church, is about a person. And I'm thankful that I know him, not it. It's not the force. So many times I run into people. Oh, you got that right there, (laughs) the force. So many times, and I know it happens to you as well. You're talking, you're sharing about the Lord, and somebody will say, yeah, I got a nephew who's really into it. You know, he's really into it, and uh, you know, the it, right? And so they keep talking about it, and I keep saying him, him. You mean him. Oh, yeah, 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 him. And then, yeah, she's really into it too. Yeah, no, no, sir, it's not an it. It's a face of a father who created you and loved you. And even though you've gone your own silly way in sin, he sent his son to die on the cross for you so that you could be right with him and live with him forever. Not about an it. It's not about an it. I thank God a person who strengthens me. He's alive. My life is is growing inside. I'm strengthened because of this person. I used to be three things. He says, blasphemer, persecutor, and violent. Blasphemer. He said, "I, I used to curse the name of Jesus. Persecutor. I used to arrest people like me. I used to throw them into prison and watch them die and vote for their execution. And then he says, violent. He says, I was a mean guy. I arrested women, Christian women, in the the text of Acts. Christian women with their little kids screaming while he dragged women to prison. He says, this is what I'm talking about. This man is now a preacher of the faith that he once tried to destroy. Come on, take out your long list, your long, boring, endless list and your genealogies and whatever it is. What does this really mean? And all that nonsense, please. This is a gospel about a changed life, about dying and rising again. If anybody be in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. This is what we're talking about. This is what we preach. This is what we teach. And he's just given an example of that. I just love this. We have a friend, friends that live in Colorado, and their boy raised, somehow managed not to come to faith and, and got into drugs. She was on focus on the family, giving the testimony. And one of the lines that really hit me, and I really identified with it, she said, my heart was so glad when my son looked at me after he came back to the Lord and we were talking about his old life and I asked him a question and he said, Mom, that person died. I don't know who that person is. This is the new me, Mom. This is a, I don't know him. I don't recognize him. And this is what Paul is saying. Stop with your lists and your religious activities and your I can't do this and I can't do that. And that makes me holy somehow. I'm teaching about a living God who strengthens me, who's changed my life, who's, who's made me alive and I'm going to live forever and I love him. That's a lot more exciting than a, a boring list of names. Amen? Amen. Oh, yeah. They do want to take their charts out after reading this. They're just like, let's put that list of names away. Amen? Because which would you rather have? 
a boring chart and a dead religion or a living God alive by the power of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Amen? Amen. Can I just paraphrase what I think he said here? He's saying, listen, so here's the heart and soul of our gospel. He says this. Christ Jesus came in this world to save sinners. That's the gospel. Stop going over here and there and everywhere. The whole thing is Jesus Christ, God came into the world to save sinners. And he goes, and by the way, uh, I think I win first prize, all right, as a sinner. But that's part of the reason God chose me. So he could show the whole world what he can do with a lost cause like me by showing unlimited patience and granting me eternal life. I didn't know what I was doing. I was blind as a bat, lost and ignorant, but God poured out mercy on me. Not laws. Where's the law in the story? Where did I start doing all these laws and keeping all of these rules? The only law in the story was all the laws I was breaking. The star of the story is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the mercy I deserve as a lawbreaker to be banished from his presence. Instead, by simple belief and trust in Jesus, he pours out his mercy upon me. That's what he's saying. Now, you boys, why don't you get back to your endless long list of boring names and confusing charts because we're talking about an exciting Life with the living God. I'm telling you what, to make church or God boring is a sin. It is just a flat out sin. And a lot of guys in our in, in the world, there are more women who are attracted to Christ because, quite frankly, the church has made Christianity boring. And and if you don't get up here and you're not able to have some kind of excitement, some kind of sincere genuine uh, see that's what I get for <laughs> if you're not excited about talking about having God the one who made heaven and earth in the universe as your Abba Papa Father God if that can't excite you that you can wake up and just have a direct line to the living God and talk to him person to person, then uh, Christianity is not for you because that's what Christianity is all about. Amen? Amen? Pastor Nathan selling marijuana in Leggett before he knew the Lord. Pastor Jim shooting up drugs in his arm with a needle. Pastor Adam, lost, depressed, and occasionally suicidal. Pastor Ross, (laughs) disco party animal. (laughs) Hold on, let me get it. Staying alive, or it should be staying dead. Staying dead. (laughs) You want to know the gospel? You know the four of us? That's who we were. That is who we were. This is the gospel. What are the four of us doing? Look at us. Do we look like those? (laughs) Don't answer that. (laughs) That's what he's doing there. That's what Paul's doing there. What's Paul saying? Bringing all of that up. Put your charts away. That's what he's saying. All right, let's finish up. Timothy, my son... I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Now some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Well, that's an interesting phrase. (laughs) Uh, Let's talk about that. All right, so the last point is the exhortation now to fight. Military term, again, to fight. Now, I have written down here, by the way, if you don't like drama and intense daily challenges, if you avoid confrontation at any cost, if you don't like to make waves by speaking the truth, 
if you want everyone to like you, please do not go into ministry. <laughs> Imagine this. I just picture this kid. He's 30, right? And, and he's up against these ferocious guys. I got a picture of them with the teeth. <laughs> Looks like a sheep. Feels like a sheep. But bites like a wolf. Yeah. You can leave that up there. This is Timothy. This is what Timothy's facing. Right? And, and what does he say? He says, Timothy, war, the good warfare. It's a war. I just picture, I just picture throughout 35 years of ministry, I picture the worst characters within the Christian community that I've ever met and put them in that church to picture what this guy has to face. He says, hey man, I want to encourage you as your spiritual father, and he's all ears, he says, hey, as your spiritual father, my true son. Oh, Timothy's heart's already wide open. And he says, remember your calling, number one. Go back to the early days when we laid hands on you and good words were spoken over your heart. Those words are going to come to pass because God is with you. He has called you. He has equipped you. He's the one who put you in that place. It doesn't matter. Take your eyes off of the problem and put them on the promises of God who loves you. He's with you. You can do this. Oh, wow. What an awesome encouragement he's had there. And he says, fight the good fight. Who's going to protect them? You you know what? That's half of the reason that I find any courage at all is because of feeling the obligation to protect people, whether it's my own family or whether it's the church that I love. That'll give you the courage to go outside your comfort zone because there's a threat and so normally, you, you wouldn't be that bold or confident or courageous. But there's a lot on the line, Timothy. War, war, the good warfare. There are many people who need to hear that. And he says, here's how to do that. He says, hold on to faith and a good conscience and you'll be fine. That's amazing to me. He's saying, keep believing Timothy, just keep on believing, being grounded in the essentials, and keep walking with God. He said, listen, it's true, you can be robbed of the truth. That's how Paul describes these bad boys. They're robbed of the truth, or they wander from the truth. But you know what? They left the doors unlocked. All right? There's culpability in wandering from the truth, because a true Christian who just is walking with God, they're loving God, they're reading the Bible, they're in fellowship, They're serving the Lord. You're not going to wander from the faith. You have an anointing from God, John says, that you you don't even need teachers to tell you right and wrong. You have the Holy Spirit. You won't wander, nor will you be robbed. If you're vigilant, what happened to these guys? They left the windows open at night. They left the door open. They stopped reading their Bibles. And then, bam, some of that Philosophy from the world led them astray. He says, fight the good fight. And then he says, some don't finish well, like Hymenaeus and Alexander. Sorry, this is the part people hate, you know, is when you call out somebody. He calls them out. He'll call out five names by the time we're done. And he says, mark them. They're trouble. They've been talked to. They're not repenting. Don't listen to them. Right? So now it's in the context of excommunicating Hymenaeus and Alexander that these final words that we look at now uh, are, are referring to about handing him over to Satan to, to be taught not to blaspheme. Let me read from a comment that will clear this up. It seems clear that Paul has removed these two men already from the fellowship and is referring here to the spiritual repercussions of excommunication. In the first centuries, to be put out of the church was a discipline with the redemptive purpose of restoring a sinning Christian first to the Lord and then back into fellowship. The idea Paul expresses here 
is that outside of the protective spiritual covering of the church and pastoral care, one is exposed to and left vulnerable to the world and the evil that holds it captive. It's allowing the backslider to go all the way with their sin so that by the destructive nature of that life, they come back to their senses having been taught through the experience not to take sacred matters of serving God lightly. And that's sort of what they're talking about. Now, Chuck Smith used to say of excommunication, he didn't excommunicate people. He said it doesn't work in our contemporary settings because you, you, put somebody, you can put somebody out and say, hey, listen, you're destructive or you're a threat. There are reasons to put somebody out, but it doesn't work biblically because they just go across town and go to another church. And so they hide out there or they go to the next church, slander the leadership, and they move on with their lives and sometimes often with the, pastor's, the new pastor's blessing. And so that whole concept is kind of tricky uh, today. But you, we are charged in taking care of the church. And if there are problems where people are in harm's way, of course, you have to deal with that. It's been very rare in, in our ministry. I, I can't even think of a, a time that that's ever happened. So now in closing, I bring my remarks to a close now. Uh, Timothy must have been so encouraged, man, to get that letter. You know, there's nothing like hearing from someone you love uh, when you're feeling overwhelmed. Think about that. You know that dumb television show Survivor, right? (laughs) You know, they they have this thing they do at the end of their time, 40 days or whatever, out in the jungle, you know, not being fed, wasting away, sleeping on bamboo, sleepless nights, parasites, parasites, bugs, fighting with crazy people over a million dollars, a national television. I mean, I can only imagine, away from friends and family, no no way to contact anybody. And then at the end, they always do it if you watch the show. At the end of all of this, they bring out letters from home. And every last one of them are reduced to just a, a pile of blubbering tears I don't care how big and how strong those men are. They convulse with weeping when they get that letter. And they say, the handwriting of my dad. You know, and just, it's powerful. They smell the letters and they're just like looking at it, just reading them over and over again. And what happens to them? They get encouraged. Suddenly, they don't feel the hunger anymore. The bug bites, they can deal with it. Oh, they've heard a word and mom has said somehow magically has appeared in the jungle of this crazy life they've found themselves in. You can do this. We're thinking of you and the Christian ones, we're praying for you. And something changes in them. Timothy He's ready to leave. That's why Paul says, stay. He opens that scroll. This Paul, an apostle of God, by the command of God himself, to my rightful heir, Timothy, my genuine, legitimate son in the faith. Oh, he cried. He cried. He read, reread it and memorized parts of it and He said, he could do this. He read that and he said, I can do this, right? With the Lord's help. I've got a father who believes in me. I've got the Lord who's called me here. And I've got the promises of God to depend upon. Let's go forward. Do this. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for giving us what we need. a beautiful letter from God our Father who loves us. We, we just don't use enough faith to realize that's a personal letter to us as well. And so we pray, Father God, that especially for those who uh, find themselves in kind of a, uh, a challenging situation, they feel a bit overwhelmed. God, let them take these words to heart and be encouraged. 
God is for them, who could be against them? May we go from this place encouraged. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. Listen, I I want to encourage you who by your personality, you're kind of a rule keeper, all right? That you just kind of have a law-based mentality about your Christian life. You need to put that chart down, all right? You need to get away from the Excel spreadsheet, all right? And you need to go for a walk on the beach and sing your heart out to God. You need to get down on your face on the carpet early morning before the sun gets up. And you need to say, Jesus Christ, living God, speak to me. Show me something. Change my heart and life. Get me excited. Help me overcome this sin. Make a difference in me. Answer my prayers today. And then you could pick up the Excel spreadsheet after that. Because they're good. And it's good to be keeping some law and order. But you know what I'm saying. Listen, I'm just telling you what. Law-based approach is going to get old fast. You're going to find yourself looking for other stuff. You're going to want a way out. You're going to want to nurture. Because it's not going to nurture you. And it won't be enough. And you're going to get in trouble. Let the living God have his way and walk with him. Walk with him. Talk with him. Open your Bibles up. Morning, noon, and night. Turn on the Christian radio stations. Soften your heart and live by prompting of the Holy Spirit, not by duty and obligation. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we all have a little bit of that in us. We all think, oh, we're doing good. Now you love us more. No, I'm doing bad and you don't accept me now. And all of that merry-go-round. Help us just to walk with you. Just to fall in love with you by reading your word and digging into the Bible. Spending a little time with you on our knees before the living God. Change our hearts. Fill us with your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you. If you want more information, if you need to become a Christian at the cross, people are there to pray with you. God bless you. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.